0: member here at our 10 a.m. service and uh, have met many of you. My wife Naomi and our kids Jed and Harry have been here for almost a year and uh, have loved the community here and it's an honour to be able to open up and consider God's word for us this morning uh, as we reflect in Mark 11. Let me pray for us. We believe that um, God is living and active even today and this morning. That as we reflect on his word, his spirit speaks to us. So let me pray and ask for him to be at work. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the embodiment of your word in your son, Jesus. And as we reflect upon him this morning, may you speak to each one of us the words we need to hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. (laughs) Uh, Throughout January here at St Mark's, uh, we've been reflecting on the words of Jesus Uh, The very title of our series, Did Jesus Really Say That?, hints at a controversial side to the person of Jesus, and I wonder whether we'll pick up on that today. It's fair to say that the Western world uh, in which we live is currently in a season of what we call uh, post-Christendom. That means that Christianity is, is no longer the assumed or dominant belief system. Uh, the concept of, say, being a Christian country is is well over. Now, of course, many of the things that we still hold dear, human rights, uh, gender equality, environmental care, have their foundations in Judeo-Christian beliefs, uh, but our identity as a culture has really shifted to um, a secular or without God identity. Fittingly, and for a whole range of reasons, I think, it's now a sign... Of enlightenment uh, and status uh, to say, Oh, I'm not religious. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that phrase before. Uh, my current vocation is that of a school chaplain. Uh, as is the case in many Christian schools, the majority of families and students that attend uh, our school are not yet Christians. Some identify as Hindu, some as Muslim, some as Jewish. Uh, just under 20% would identify as Christians. Uh, But the majority, 70%, um, would identify as Uh, non-religious. Non-religious. It's an interesting phrase, that one. And I know what it means. It means I don't personally identify with a world religion. But the word religion itself uh, is really just a reference to a belief in a larger narrative. It refers to a framework of belief, That gives our lives meaning, direction and hope. Now, of course, we know there are set systems that do this, right? Christianity, Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Judaism. Uh, They're the big five. You've also got Wiccan, Scientology, Mormonism, the list goes on. Uh, But the current mantra today is to prefer to say, none of that stuff's really for me. I'm non-religious, And I begin with this reflection because if most of us are non-religious, then who cares what Jesus says about religion? Uh, It's like having a sermon on what does Jesus say about VCRs? (laughs) It might be kind of interesting, but honestly, who cares? Um, But if religion is actually less about the big five and more about a framework of belief that gives our life meaning, direction, hope, then I want to suggest that perhaps we may all be very religious. Uh, An atheist is just as religious as a devout Muslim because an atheist has a strong framework of belief that gives their life meaning, direction, hope. It just doesn't involve God. Uh, An LGBTQI activist is just as religious as an Anglican minister. Strong framework of belief that gives meaning, direction, hope. Uh, if, if we define religion as a framework of belief, then um, perhaps, although I know lots of people wouldn't like this, but perhaps we're all religious. We're all believers in something. And I wonder what it is that that you really believe in, uh, that you place your hope in. Uh, what is it that, that thing that when you strip away everything, really gives you a sense of meaning. Uh, One thing you'll notice in a society like ours that has consciously shifted to secularism is an unconscious elevation of classic religiosity in other areas. Uh, It's like no matter how hard we try, we can't escape it. It's it's almost kind of stitched into being human. Um, Anzac Day is a classic example. Now, the popularity of this day, I think, has it has increased and continues to increase in our society. And it's not a bad day. It's good to remember those who have fought uh, in arenas of war. It's becoming more of a family event as well. Uh, But listen to this list and have a think of any, if any of this sounds religious to you. Go to a dawn service that's linked with the rising of the sun. Gather around shrines recite set liturgy, have a moment of meditation, reflect on a larger story of sacrifice, hope to one day perhaps make a pilgrimage to Anzac Cove. Consider our entertainment, uh, Masterchef, The Block, The Bachelor. Uh, These aren't food, house and relationship shows. They are stories of deep searches for meaning, direction and hope. Uh, if you do X, then you'll get Y. That's the promise. Uh, if, if the contestants can just appease the priesthood or the gatekeepers, uh, the judges, uh, the property buyers, the romantic interest, uh, then the winner will be set free and find life. They really will in pursuing their food dream in establishing financial security, in finding the love of their life. If you do X, then you'll get Y, a framework of belief that gives our lives meaning, direction, hope. So may I humbly suggest that perhaps uh, we are all very religious. Uh, We're all believers. And to be clear, I'm not saying any of this from a place of distant uh, judgment. I'm right in the middle of it. I was a MasterChef addict for the first four seasons. Um, I crave a good self-help book, especially this time of year. Uh, I always think my life would be just a little bit better if... uh, And even just this morning, I was looking at the Fast 800 diet um, online, which someone sent me a link to, and I thought, ooh, that does look interesting. Apparently, you can drop lots of weight in three months, and it's scientific, so... (laughs) anyway. Uh, But this is who we are, isn't it? This is, we give ourselves to things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's nice to just admit it. Um, And so if this is the case, what does Jesus say about religion? Uh, Well, nothing. Jesus uh, never uses the word religion. So I guess that's it. (laughs) Enjoy your morning tea been a joy. Uh, well, not, not quite. It's not close, but not quite. Jesus never used the word religion. Uh, but his whole mission, of course, is about inviting us into a framework of meaning, direction and hope. Uh, Jesus calls it the kingdom of God. And so it turns out that he has a lot to say to each one of us in our search. Today's Bible passage is all about Jesus' interaction with the central frame of meaning, direction and hope of his day, which was the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you are new to the Bible, it's helpful to know that the Bible is 66 different books uh, claiming to chart the interaction of one God with his created universe. And it charts the actions and efforts of this one God to rescue and reunite us with himself after we've rejected His loving rule and we've plunged ourselves into a bit of a mess of selfishness and pride. Uh, and so, God's promise in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is that He's going to rescue and reunite us through one little nation, Israel. And so, understandably, the rest of the Bible follows this one little nation Just see what God's going to do. Uh, central to this nation is a building called the Temple. And the Temple symbolised God's Presence with Israel. It was at the temple that you'd get the full experience of God's judgment and God's grace. Uh, For it was at the temple that people would pray, present sacrifices, which would place the punishment for their sin onto another, onto an animal. But in today's passage from Mark, we have Jesus overturning the tables and causing chaos in this temple. And either side of this, we have an odd interaction with a fig tree. Uh, What's going on? Well, let's have a quick look and then circle back around to see if it has any implications for us today. Uh, As it turns out, um, the fig tree was actually an Old Testament symbol uh, for Israel, and more specifically here in Mark 11, for the temple. In effect, the fig tree narrative that's at the start and the end of this little passage Uh, tells us that Jesus is cursing the practices in the temple. And he's declaring that the time of the temple is over. The temple is done. Now, this is sort of crazy talk from the Rabbi Jesus. Uh, It's like our Federal Minister of Education, Jason Clare, declaring that all schools are going to be closed. Or it's a hardcore environmentalist saying that all green energy should stop. It's a gym junkie saying we should close all gyms. Uh, it's odd. The fig tree's time is over. The temple is done. So what's going on here? Well, we read in verse 15, "...on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. He began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables, the money changers, the benches of those selling doves, would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And as he taught them, he said, "'Is it not written, my house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers?' Okay, historical context. Uh, In Jerusalem, uh, it was common for there to be a market near the temple. Uh, At this market, you could buy animals and doves, and you would take them to the temple for your sacrifice. Uh, In addition to this, there was also a business changing money from Gentile coinage to Jewish coinage, because Jewish coinage was considered unblemished as a donation to the temple. Up until AD 30, this market was located up on the Mount of Olives. But Caiaphas, the high priest at the time, had just made changes to allow uh, traders access to the outer court of the temple to do their business. Now, this might seem quite an efficient move by Caiaphas, until you learn that the outer courts of the temple was an area specifically designed for non-Jewish people to come and worship God. And I take it that perhaps, probably the majority of us here today... Uh, non-Jewish. Many of us are outer court people. Uh, This was the space for everyone and anyone to come and pray and give sacrifices and connect with God. One God rescuing and reuniting all of humanity with himself. Caiaphas had made the executive decision uh, to block this space with markets and guess who had a significant percentage of the markets and their profit? You guessed it, Caiaphas, the high priest, and some of the chief temple priests. What Jesus saw when he came to Jerusalem was religion that was more about human pride, greed, and racial prejudice than about God rescuing and reconnecting us all with himself. What Jesus saw when he came to Jerusalem was religion that was more about human pride, greed, racial prejudice than about a God rescuing and reconnecting us all with himself. Ron Hubbard, who was the founder of Scientology, was famously quoted as saying, the quickest way to become a millionaire is to start your own religion. But with house prices the way they are, that's not that special these days. Um, But how did the chief priests and others respond to Jesus' assault on the temple? Well, verse 18, we read, the chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. Now, we'll be exploring um, the destructive pattern of operating out of a place of fear uh, a little more on our weekend away this coming March. So, if you haven't registered for that yet, please make sure you register in the coming weeks. It'll be a great weekend. Uh, But for now, we're going to note that the religious leaders of the day had built a profitable business around the temple. They weren't well, it doesn't appear that they're really concerned about God being misrepresented by Jesus. They were afraid that they would lose their lucrative lifestyle. Now, if you think this was a recent phenomenon in the first century, uh, you'd actually be wrong. Uh, for what Jesus is doing here in Mark 11 is, uh, I, think it's, I think it's pretty clear, I'm going to hazard a guess here, deliberately imitating the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And what he had done 600 years before at the very same spot in front of the very same temple. Uh, You could look up Jeremiah chapters 6 to 8 to have a read of it for yourself at some time. Jeremiah's judgment on the people was because uh, they sort of had a near superstitious trust in the temple. And they had a racial prejudice that was justified with God talk. Who's in, who's out. I'll throw God in there, and then it's all official. Uh, It was the attitude that we can do whatever we like with our lives, but because once a year we can come to the temple, chant and give our sacrifices, then surely it's all okay. Uh, Jeremiah said these words 600 years before. He said, will you steal and murder, commit adultery, perjury, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you have not known, and then come stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say... We're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I've been watching, declares the Lord. What Jesus is doing in Mark 11 and what he does throughout his teaching, what the prophets of the Old Testament had done for years is warn us that our attempts to do religion, you know, find meaning, direction, hope, will often, or perhaps always, be twisted by our own inbuilt pride, greed, prejudice. Just like we can't help being religious, perhaps we can't also help messing it all up with our own pride and greed and prejudice. Uh, The temple was indeed a good and powerful symbol of God's grace. But very soon, it was turned into a get-out-of-jail-free card, for Israel's self-centred lives. Perhaps such practices uh, may not be just restricted to people in ancient cultures. Uh, Could it be that many belief systems and modern ideologies, um, however virtuous they appear, are crafted to allow us as individuals to do whatever we want with our life while occasionally requiring a certain practice or voicing support for a popular ideology that sets our conscience at ease. Oh, I'm one of the good people. Could it be that we all naturally gravitate towards kind of anything that's just going to operate as a get out of jail free card for our own self centered lives? I said at the start that Jesus' words are controversial. Uh, And if what Jesus taught is true, then in the end, all our attempts to secure meaning, direction, purpose for ourselves will fail. Because even with our best intentions, and we do have best intentions, our own salvation stories are always crippled by our own brokenness. Uh, We can't save ourselves. And nor can any single virtuous cause or self-help book, uh, or Good Intention, or the Fast 800 diet. Although it's good to be healthy. Now, this actually, to be honest, it would be a terribly depressing reality, wouldn't it? Uh, If we don't also see that the same Jesus who condemned the practices at the temple uh, returned to Jerusalem a second time Not to condemn the temple, but to be condemned himself. uh, To bear our sins in his body. To rise from the dead and then say, come follow me. I'll show you the way. True religion is about receiving meaning, direction and hope not earning it for ourselves. True religion is about transformation of our selfhood, our personhood, each one of us. It's not just a justification for our selfishness. And with that being the case, Jesus is the only entry point into true religion, one of the great fruits of what I'll call true religion, certainly must be, has to be, humility. I mean, you know, know, it's a classic phrase. If you do X, you'll get Y. But Jesus comes to say, I'll do X so that you can have Y. And if that's true, then we are receivers of what he has done. And if we are receivers, we can only ever have a heart of humility. Wow. Look what he did for me. True religion breeds humility. False religion will always breed arrogance. Whether you find yourself in a position of arrogance, and look, we've all been there. You might be in it today. Claiming that you will cancel or reject anyone who doesn't share your view of God or solar energy or sexual expression or political parties or parenting strategies or perhaps you're at the other end, you find yourself in a position of just total despair because you realise that nothing you have pursued has ever really scratched that itch of meaning, direction, hope the risen Jesus says come follow me Uh, Let go of your arrogance, because you don't have all the answers. Let go of your despair, because there is real hope. I've risen from the dead. He says, come follow me. We'll sort it out together. In his recent book, Surprised by Jesus, Dane Ortland writes, a Christian is not someone who has been enrolled in the moral hall of fame. A Christian is a happily recovering Pharisee. So may you and I come to know that our religious hearts were created to receive their meaning, direction and hope in God himself, not create it from our own dedication to a cause. And may you and I be set free in receiving such forgiveness and hope to live our lives in response to this incredible God. And may we support each other by this great community here at St. Mark's of Recovering Pharisees. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and Father, uh, we thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you that you come find us when we're lost. We thank you, Lord, that you bring light when we're in darkness. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust in your goodness. Uh, Guide each one of us today, Lord, that we might know what you have achieved for us through your son, Jesus, and that we might respond in humble faith. Please guide us in this today, this afternoon, and into our week. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.